story makers. I'm Angie Powers. I'm Elizabeth Stark. And, and this, this is Storymakers story Show. And today on Storymakers Show, we're going to talk about feedback. Critique. Yeah. Feedback, critique, getting notes, giving notes, what it's all about, what you need to know about notes. And basically how not to be an a-hole. That too. But first, what are you working on this week? Well, this week I'm actually doing all the things I usually do. And in addition to that, I have been cognitively processing an item for the Daily Dose deal This means website. thinking about. <laughs> cognitively processing is a way to sound like you're really doing something, but you're kind of just thinking about it, which is important. I don't mean to... I know. Look at you. You're totally giving me, like, shy. What? <laughs> You're daydreaming. No, I'm not. I'm cognitively processing. Very different. Very important. The yes. most important. All right, that's exciting. So, yeah, so the Daily Dose has launched mm-hmm. dailydosedeal.com. And the deal your, is referring to the Green New the Green, Deal. Feminist Voices for the Green New Deal is our uh, subtitle. So don't, ex- so, don't actually expect like a coupon. No coupon. We're just, it's just, you know, you savings. On the world. Yes. Saving the planet. <laughs> Giving you savings one planet at a time. All right. We're, we're working on this. But in yeah. any case, it's exciting. There's some great stuff out there. There's some great stuff coming this mm-hmm. week. I did an interview with poet Debbie S. Lascar, who, yes, is also a novelist and has been on our show. But she wrote a climate poem mm-hmm. uh, uh, called an erasure poem, where you take Ooh, a text yeah, yeah. and you erase some things. And What's his name? Cleon. Gives an example oh, of that, right? Because he that was also What's his name, Cleon. We just call him that because we know him really well. That's like our nickname for yeah. him. Anyway, he um, does an erasure. He does a lot of erasure. Yeah. That's sort of his his thing. That was his bag. But then his bag also became writing books that are inspiring to people and square and square and inspiring, mm-hmm. which you know is is an option. It's the juxtaposition of assumptions. There you you wouldn't imagine that square would be inspiring. Maybe not. Um, so, okay, so Daily Dose, so that's what you're mulling over mm-hmm. taxes a little bit, too, but that's not maybe as inspirational for our audience. It doesn't fall into the deeply creative, one hopes. <laughs> <laughs> we certainly wouldn't announce that publicly. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, yeah, so that's so Daily Dose, and then um, I'm, I'm, you know, you're not going to believe what I'm doing. I am revising. But I was, I was looking out, so from this tiny little shack where we record... You can see our yard, and now you can especially see it because it's been cleared. You know, the key here is now you can see our yard. <laughs> yes, and I think that this might be relevant for getting notes and something about simplicity. It's certainly relevant to something I'm sort of doing in my draft, which is I think clearing. it's actually a great metaphor for, you know, doing yard work is a great metaphor for both, you know, giving yourself notes, getting notes from other people. Um, and I can't wait to dig into that metaphor. Dig in. Yard work. Ha ha. Get it? Okay. I do. What, let's, well. What are you working on? I said I was revising. Okay. And, and the Daily Deal. What else? That's about it. Daily um, Dose. The Daily Dose. Gr- Feminist Voices for the Green New Deal. I will also say that on March 20th, 
coming up on a Friday. Which will, is not next week. No, but it's the week after. And I will be in conversation with Carolina de Robertis about her fabulous book, Cantoras, mm-hmm. in Sebastopol at Copperfields. Party! So um, please come out for that. That's going to be so fun. She's just amazing. You there's, there's enough room for a bunch of people to go and stand six feet apart from each other. There you go. Oh, my God. The other thing is, I went in there. So my credit card says... Elizabeth Powers, Elizabeth S. Powers, mm-hmm. because that's my legal name. Yes. Uh, but the my public Stage name, name. The name I say at the beginning Your of our nom podcast, de plume. My, it's also my midden name, uh-huh. is Elizabeth Stark. So I go in, and of course I'm well known, not to say beloved, at my local bookstore, but under my credit card name, because what am I primarily doing there is buying stuff mm-hmm. so i go in and the poster for this event is right up there and it says carolina in conversation with elizabeth stark and i go oh that's me that's my that's my like secret identity and the guy is like ha 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 and i'm like and i, I think and i'm like no no i don't mean i'm carolina clearly like her picture is right there so clearly i'm not her but but I, but i'm but she's in conversation with me but right it's like it's my, it's my secret identity is i'm catalina but you know but no like i'm that person and he just kind of totally didn't get it and then i was like anyway and then i was giving him my name for my you know discount copperfields account and he was like what's your first name again and it's like no really that's <laughs> me it's right there anyway that was fun that's your favorite thing too just not being known yeah i just i love the level of anonymity with which i'm passing through the world i, I want to say that when i was 21, I went to the Bennington Summer Writers Program, and Bob Shakocha said, you've got to send these stories to my agent, right? To my, It was really the, the person who'd been his agent's assistant who was becoming an agent. And I went and I sat down on my bed in my little dorm room at Bennington for the summer, and I thought, this is it. Like, I'm going to become famous now. And everybody who I meet from now on, I won't even know if they like me for me or if they just like me because I'm famous because I'm this amazingly famous writer and you know like two fundamental fundamental misunderstandings there uh, but the most important of the misunderstandings is how <laughs> famous two. writers actually become <laughs> well I don't know if that was the most more fundamental of the misunderstandings but and I actually met you a couple of months later mm. And so who knows what drew you to me, whether it was that resounding fame that followed me you after that moment. You were famous after that moment. <laughs> That's me. Anyway, so yeah, the fame continues in, mm-hmm. my, in my hometown. Yeah. So I'd, I'd like to draw a crowd. And this is not the moment to really want to draw a crowd, is it? It's a problem. Uh, you know, well, let's knock on wood and let's hope that... Like, much is, is that a policy recommendation? That is a policy. I've been working with our president and officially you should wash your hands, knock on wood, and then wash your hands again. So, um, you know, we both have parents who are in that age range of this is a high risk thing for them. So I, I feel very grateful for the fact that their cruise is over. The fact that their cruise is over. But beyond that. I feel very grateful for every government agency and person who is putting themselves in the line of, you know, I was going to say fire, but here's like, oh my gosh, how many first responders are there now in yeah. in the world? And I just want to say thank you to everybody who is keeping the public safety as safe as it can be. And yeah. that is a massive, important and 
currently underfunded jobs. So thank, thank you. you to all of those who are doing that. Yes. And with our tidings of gratitude, we move on into the main topic of today, which is, of course, a different kind of response, how we get feedback, how we give feedback, and maybe what are the key components to effect, being effective in both roles? Yeah. So this is a really important and, and sometimes poorly understood area. Mm-hmm. It's so vital. At some point, it's so vital to have readers. I mean, you just, there's so only so much you can do between yourself and the blank page. Mm. And then you don't know what's happening. You don't know the impact of your work on somebody else. And so you hand it to them and you say, will you please read this? And then you are looking to find out what happened when they read it. Mm. But sometimes when people take the manuscript from you, they think, I need to tell them how to write this better. Well, my job is to tell them what's wrong. Right. My job is to tell them what's wrong. My job is to tell them how to fix it. My job is to tell them what I wanted. What we often don't think about is that in every aspect of the creative role, there's insecurity. And so even when someone is when someone is giving feedback, that's also a creative act in a form. And so I think a lot of people also want to be able to perform up to the expectations of feedback. It's true. I've actually had the experience of um, not... You know, not as often as maybe we all hope. We all hope, we all hope someone's going to read our piece and be like, I couldn't come up with anything that would make this better, right? I had no comments at all. That doesn't happen very often. But there are moments where I will be teaching and I will, you know, I will have that, that like, I won't have many notes. And sometimes mm-hmm. if it's a salon, say, and my whole job is to take these four pages and write notes, and I've done, you know, a hundred on everybody else's, it's it sometimes feels bad to say, mm-hmm. this is done. Just keep going. Right. Absolutely. But sometimes that's the honest note. And sometimes it's not even, sometimes it's done. Like there are people who just polish and polish and it's done. Mm-hmm. And they turn it in and it's done. But um, but sometimes it's just, it's also the note has to be just keep going because you're figuring something out. Well, I, I think what I want to do is maybe have a conversation with you because you also spend a lot of time both as a teacher and as an editor. And so I have my own feelings. I, you know, having gone through table reads, going through these different processes around filmmaking we, I think, have some very similar ideas, so it could be a wildly boring interview if we were like, yeah, that is totally true. I agree with you. So what I thought I would actually do is ask you to maybe start with what do you think is maybe the first most important thing as a person who's giving feedback and then secondarily as a person getting feedback? Okay. Um, so first, when you're giving, giving, first giving, okay. So I'm reading something. So first of all, who am I as a reader normally? When How do I normally read? And I think if you're going to become a really strong editor, you have to know who you are as a, as a reader, as an audience member. As a, so, so when I read a book, and, and I actually am a pretty uncritical reader in, this, in the sense that if I like the book at all, if I'm hooked at all, I just keep going. And I'm often, I'm often not very interested in criticizing it sometimes you and I actually differ on this because sometimes the way you engage with something is to critique it or to challenge it and which my children love and sometimes I don't want to yet mm-hmm. right which is which is sort of funny because in other ways you're much less argumentative than I am but with when you, but with sort of on an intellectual level you're processing that's, how you engage, that's my, right? my processing style is to argue whereas I want to sort of set aside me and my stuff and go and just lose myself in the story and if I can't I'll set aside the story which actually kind of is reflected in both of our dating histories. 
<laughs> I don't want to dig too deeply into that. But um, so, okay. So then the other, so one of the other things that happens as a reader is that the book teaches us how to read it, right? So I think the, it's important when you're reading somebody to respect that, that your, your, your expectations are being developed by the author. Okay. So I want to actually stop there. We often talk about, you know, before you give feedback, really understanding what a person is going for. Exactly. And as you talk about the book teaching you how to read it, how how does one capture because it? it's it's a little bit vague. It, it sounds very abstract to say what are what is the book teaching you mm-hmm. to uh, in order for you to be a successful reader? What is the author trying to achieve? As a reader, as a, as someone who's responding, how do you how do you kind of come to those conclusions? Well, I don't know if they're deeply conclusive, but I think that, um, for example, a very lyrical book, if the language is slow and beautiful, but it's working, so you're engaged with it, but maybe you're kind of chewing on the sentences rather than sort of skimming through to find out what happens next. Um, so that's a different expectation. And often when we actually are reading for pleasure, we're picking a book that fits the mood of the moment, right? Mm-hmm. And so we might in some moment want a very, like a lyrical, chewy book, and in another moment want a page-turning, gripping book. Right. And so um, so understanding what is the book that we're having and how can we kind of get in the mood of that book, right? So that, so that in other words, if, if it was just me reading, I would be like, oh, you know, maybe right now I don't have... I don't want to, you know, this kind of book or that kind of book. But if you're reading as an editor, you're thinking, okay, if I was, if this was the mood I was in, how would I, how would I be receiving this? Okay. You know what I mean? So you're saying a little bit about if I sort of was in the mood for the genre, mm-hmm. how would I feel about it within the context what of what it, it's right. trying to and, do? And you yeah. talk about genre a lot because genre sets expectations, right? So if this is going to be a mystery, and we've set up a mystery and what's going to happen. And then all of a sudden we're like sort of wandering through philosophies of life. We're going to, that's going to frustrate the reader. So the book has set up one expectation and then it's kind of left turned mm-hmm. into something else. So anyway, so that kind of thing, just like what is the book asking of the reader? What is the book expecting, you know, setting up its expectations for the reader? And then how is it delivering on those? Okay. Okay. But anyway, I don't know. Now I feel like we've gone amiss. No, no. I'm trying to establish a, a foundation. So, okay. Well, let me just say this. So when I start a workshop, mm-hmm. and so we've all read something, sometimes it's a whole book, sometimes it's a piece of a project or a short piece, and then I say, okay, so um, we start with what did you like and love here? That's where I always start. What did you like and love? And we start, and we talk about it specifically. Like, so it has to be, a, and why? Like, on a craft level or a story level, like, why was this great? And I would I would like to kind of underline that a little bit because someone might say, well, that's a really soft read. But the truth is, if something that you love about a book is not what the author's going for, that's also information. It, it could definitely be. I mean, and sometimes it's, like, sometimes, okay, like, I have people will read aloud in craft class and we'll all be, like, laughing. And they'll be like, I didn't know this was funny. But it's not in a bad way. It's just, it's sort of just... The, the humor of being human, right? So it's still poignant, it's still moving, but it's like hilarious too. And it's, so that's interesting information for a writer. Like, I love your humor. It's like, oh, I didn't know it was being funny. But okay, I want that. I'm a little dead inside right now, but I'm glad you found it funny. <laughs> exactly. Um, so then, so yeah, so I think, and I also think it's super important, especially, well, really always, to know what is working because 
you're going to go back in and fix things. And I mean, I even try now when I'm editing myself to mark when a scene is good because otherwise I go back and I don't know which parts are good and I'm liable to cut everything. You know, if, if, if my reader self doesn't mark, this was absorbing, I was in it, it was working, then I'm just like, when I go back in, I'm going to be like, let's go, let's hack that out too. And get, mm. you know. So I think it's really important to know what's working because that's what you're going to use to build, you know, the rest. Okay. To rebuild. So. Okay. And then I go on. Okay. And I say, okay, where did you feel lost or thrown out of the story or confused or where did you want more? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, then I say, and where did you have questions? And I say, the questions may be readers' questions, which is to say that you have to have questions to pull you through the book. Mm-hmm. They may be readers' questions, and they may be questions that indicate some kind of confusion. And sometimes, if, especially if you're reading only part of something, you may not entirely know. So you may say, I just kept being like, when are they going to blah, blah, blah? And it's like, that might pull you through an entire book. You know, that might be a great thing for a reader. When are they going to blah, blah, blah? Or... It might be, oh, no, like I didn't even know anyone would be thinking about that. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess. Um, so we've got those frameworks and you're talking about those things and not at no point have you actually said and, and this is something that happens, I think, in screenwriting, maybe more than in prose writing feedback. People will often have ideas about how you can improve it. So, for example, the world famous experience of a mutual friend being told that in her sort of idyllic French pastoral film, she should throw in a kidnapping. (laughs) And, you know, that to me kind of is the basis of like not understanding what someone's trying to do and being prescriptive. Mm -hmm. Are there times when if you've, if you've ticked off the box, I really do think I understand what this person is trying to achieve. Is there a time when it's appropriate to be prescriptive? You know, my group of uh, sort of novelists where we read generally read completed things tends to be more pre- prescriptive than groups I had been in before. And also, um, to some extent, you know, working with the New York professionals, people have been prescriptive. Not They're always open to, like, you taking it your way and whatever, but they're, they're not afraid to say some more kind of specific things. And so I've gotten less afraid of a certain kind of prescription. I think it's really helpful for a writer to know that when somebody says, you know, I wanted a dog in the story, that what they might mean is I really wanted something that I was invested in, or they might mean, um, you know, so they might mean I wanted to see the character acting in a loving way towards somebody. I mean, so anyway, you back up from what the prescription is to We're going to turn in a second. I'm going to ask you in a second as a recipient of notes. So... So I'm hearing from you that, yeah, there are times when things can be more prescriptive. And one of the things I'm noticing in that scenario, you haven't actually said, like, my novel group necessarily knows better what I'm trying to do. We have also different relationships with people. So if you're a teacher versus, um, you know, a colleague, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, those are different kinds of relationships. So I think power relationships definitely are a part of how you might make some of those decisions as a person who gives particular feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess my last note then would be uh, how far is too far with prescription, assuming all things being equal? 
Well, here, so what I, here's what I do when I want to get prescriptive is I say, okay, I want to play chess with your book, right? That's the way I talk about it. And I always explain that it's really more fun to get prescriptive with someone else's book than to solve the problems in your own book, right? It always feels easy to be like, well, then like, you could just have them do this. And it's like, you're talking to somebody about like ripping some huge thing out of their book or like massaging some other whole thing through. It's like, these are huge changes. They're really fun to make on somebody else's book, right? It's sort of like, oh, why don't you remove that wall of your house? And it's like, okay, but it's a bearing wall and I don't have the $50,000 it would take to right. do the work, right? So, but it's easy to walk in and be like, that's what I would do if this were my house. Mm -hmm. So that said, um, I, as you, as you know, I sometimes push you towards prescription. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that the more you can be confident that you understand your work and you understand what you're trying to do. And so that if somebody says to you, you know, put a dog in the story, you can either be like, oh, that is actually a click. Like that answer clicks into all the things I'm hoping. Or you can be like, wow, that's like really over here. But I see that they want my character to be more loving towards some creature. And I'm going to bring in an octopus. <laughs> Which actually needs a lot more love than it gets. Um, so what do you think? We, so if we were going to do this and we're going to wrap up this quick section yeah. and just say step one, you are giving feedback. Someone says, hey, will you give me feedback? So step one is what? Say no. Step. Okay. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, step one. Well, I want you do the wrap up because you actually brought up this topic and this mm -hmm. was a really interesting. I'm actually very interested. One, I think you've been doing this for so many years. You do it so well. So many people have really just appreciated the kind of insight and feedback you give that I wanted to dig in and make it a little bit more linear because I think there are ways in which we have these conversations and they're very abstract. So I was trying to get to a more concrete place. And so that's, so for me, the wrap up would be like one, what, you know, what is the genre, right? Just step one, like what should from a broad sense be a set of expectations that this person is communicating that they're dealing with. And then two, what does the book tell me in the opening about how they're either going to engage with or play with the expectations of the genre? And you should know that. And as a writer, right, as you're doing your own stuff, you should have a sense of like, oh, this is what I'm trying to do. This is what I'm playing with. And if I don't tell anybody until 75% through the book that I've sort of missed the point. I just want to say on that point. So one of my students in craft class last week set is reading The Starless Sea. I think it's Erin Morgenstern. She did. She also did The Night Circus, I believe. So this is her next book. Um, anyway, and he said um, he was in the middle of it. It was very descriptive, like heavily descriptive and, and many different parts. And he said, but, you know, maybe she'll pull it all together and it'll all come together and, and sort of meet. They'll all impact each other. It'll all tie into a single narrative strand. Essentially, he didn't use that exact phrase. But and I said, I want us all as writers to notice that this is a contract the reader is expecting. The reader is expecting that if you're throwing it in there, it's not just because it's beautiful. It's not just because you like it. It's not just because you wrote it. It's because it's adding up to something that is going to come together in a powerful aha kind of moment. Or... The social contract of a reader and writer. And I just think it's so important because I think we forget that. Mm -hmm. We forget that kind of basic narrative expectation of the reader and i think when you, you're talking about genre it's speaking to that it's mm -hmm. what is your reader expecting and i think that's a very valid angle 
Okay, so as a person giving feedback, we should kind of intentionally give ourselves the question, what is this writer trying to do? And maybe even say like, okay, this is my assumption. Capture your assumption as you're doing the notes, right? This is my assumption at this point that this, these are the things you're thinking about, talking about, playing with. And then from there, you can go on and capture things as uh, whether they add up to your expectations or not, where you get lost, questions you have. I like the questions format in part because it also allows you to say, this might be a reader's question. I maybe don't have the pages I need right now to understand that piece. Yeah. So um, what did I miss? No, I think, I think that's it. And, and, you know, and just, and then the, the parts where you're confused, I mean, just to be super honest, it just, it's, it's very simple. So in, in um, David Mamet's book on directing, that mm-hmm. little book on directing, yeah. and he has this whole part where he's, and it's, he's in a class, he's teaching a class with students and they're, they're kind of imagining a short, right? A short film. So they're like cutting and they're like, okay, the student is coming in to appeal to the teacher about, about the grade, his grade. And he's. Um, and it's a silent film, I think, or I can't, maybe it's not a silent film, but it, they're just focusing on the visuals. So there's a shot of, you know, the, the final project or whatever. And what do we need in that shot? What do, and they're like, and they start talking about, we need an interesting angle. We need something beautiful, something fascinating, something, whatever. And finally, like somebody says, and it's you know, ding, 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 ding is we need to know it's the same binder that tells us this was the final project right that's not as easy as you'd think (laughs) right so these things are really hard in film but i think for pros too it's like it's so important to just so you ask this question of our students you know what why is this scene here Mm. and it's like well it's super vague but as you're getting to like really something that's really tight it's like it's there and it's usually there for like several reasons that aren't happening anywhere else and that are essential Mm-hmm. Right. So I just think there's something um, there's something kind of about simplifying, I guess, which is what back to our yard being like visible and clear and just like, what's well, I was going to bring the metaphor, my final metaphor. And I, I think we may end up just wrapping up on the giving notes portion. Today. Yeah, maybe a second one on getting notes. But in much the same way that if you were a, a um, what is that called? Maestro. No, it's an architect. What kind of architect does the gardens? Oh, landscape. Thank you. If you were a landscaped architect, you wouldn't just go in and say, you know what? I really feel like what you need here is a fake well. (laughs) What I really think you need over here is a koi pond, (laughs) right? You wouldn't just go start throwing stuff in and, and feeling like whatever. You'd get to know the people there. You'd look at the land. How does the, what is the grade like? You know, what is it, you know, is it higher in one part, lower in another? Do they have a septic system? Do they have drainage problems? Are they in a dry area? You're going to take all of those things into consideration, but you're also going to take into consideration the aesthetic of the people living there. So even if they're like, we're in drought torn wherever, and then you're like, great, let's put together some, you know, native plants that were going to be drought resistant. And they're like, really, we want a koi pond. <laughs> you might then work around. So, OK, so you really want a koi pond, but that's not going to work here. 
gray water koi pond. Right. So open. So what we're going to do is create a cesspool. We're going to create a cesspool for some crawdads. And that will be like a koi pond, (laughs) but different. It's the Sonoma County koi pond. (laughs) And so... That's that's where the metaphor that I was gonna actually I when like we started it, it was I that like you it. would you're in conversation as a reader and especially as someone giving feedback with the goals of the person who's created the space. So yeah. All right. So next time, one, if you have any questions about this, please feel free to email us. Questions at storymakershow.com. And then next time we'll talk about receiving feedback, which mm-hmm. is a whole its whole own psychodrama. Oh my gosh. Yeah. But now it is time for Steal This, Amateur Poets Borrow. Professional Poets Steal. What have you come across in your wanderings and readings that you would like to take and make your own? So last night we watched The Invention of Lying, the Richard Gervais film, mm-hmm. with, with our 12-year-olds. So it, And it started off with certain things that are, that we, you know, were not like necessarily the funnest thing to be sitting with 12-year-olds talking about, but it's PG-13, so we felt like it was going to be okay. And then there was a moment... Where the character has this sort of new superpower in the context of his world, um, because nobody in his world lies. Everybody tells the truth. That's just the world, the way the world is. And so he he learns that he can say things that aren't true. They don't even have the word true, right? But the things that aren't, and he starts to misuse that power. And it's it was very alarming because it felt like, oh no, is this going to be? And he had all these like, me too guys in it and stuff and it was like like louis ck was like in the movie right so we're like well we also know it was older than a certain date because the bartender was played by philip seymour hoffman yeah yeah so it's and also the the aesthetic was really dated so it was even seemed even older like it seemed like from the 90s or something so it's just like oh no what's gonna happen and then and then it actually saved itself and it was hugely relieving (laughs) but also um so it's a very conceptual film, right? And um, and at first it almost didn't work because that what if, it felt like there couldn't really be human beings who just all the time told the truth, right? It was, and you had to sort of buy into it. It was pleasurable to see everybody saying like, well, I think I'm too good for you. I'm not going to go on this date or whatever. The, all the, t- to mm-hmm. hear them speaking all those truths, but it felt like very quickly people would learn to lie, right? And so anyway, but then, uh, you know, but then as I settled into it and, and, and as it began to move me, the, mm-hmm. the, you know, as he ran, started to run into the limitations of the superpower of lying the, and the, the possibilities, the limitations, the kind of the unexpected turns on it, it was, it was very moving to me, actually. I really, I really thought it was kind of great. Thematically, it's related to what I'm trying to do in my book, although... It's in really in no other way similar. Um, so what I want to steal is the power of taking a deep dive into your concept and really trusting it and playing it out. And this is, you know, I'm thinking a lot about simplicity mm-hmm. right now, mm-hmm. simplicity, clarity. And this really did that. And then it ended up kind of, I really thought it had a certain, again, pleasurable kind of nuance born of committing to this kind of wacky is this going to work concept and then just playing it all the way out and letting it play out in many different kind of directions but it was all around that concept so that's the kind of i think what what i hear you teaching in book in a year and i just it's so reinforced that for me cool um 
Well, you know, this week I've been spending a lot of time looking at a lot of different sort of pieces. I think I'm I'm really kind of trying to process everything that's happening in the world right now. And so, to be honest, the comforts of things like 12-week year and getting things done don't really feel valuable at this particular moment. So I think the thing that I sort of want to steal is just uh, mindfulness, which is helpful because I have ADD also, but that the mindfulness is really about being present in a particular moment. And I have really intentionally cut myself off of social media and I have really tried to get my news from places and sources I trust. I find that I get overwhelmed by what's being presented in the world. So I think this week, my main focus is going to be just mindfulness and thinking about what does it mean to be in a particular moment? We often talk to even our memoir writers about building scene, but how can you build scene if you're not really paying attention to what's happening to you? So that is mm. my steal this for this week. I just want to add one thing because I feel really like that seems so important. And just I really appreciate your honesty about just this moment. And, and you because you are always gung ho about some new system or some <laughs> new angle, which is also lovely. But to just be like, oh, that's not I was I was sort of thinking you were going to say, like, that's what I need right now. I was like, and I was like, so I was kind of happy that you're like, no, like something different. And um, and but you and you brought up social media. And I was thinking about how it's been really kind of hard to be on social media around the political stuff that people and even though I'm like so in, in such an intense bubble that the people who are fighting are are so closely aligned compared to like the country right now. <laughs> but mm. they're still managing to be so kind of aggressive at each other about it. And I've been sort of frustrated with that. And it just I suddenly felt like what if I started going around saying, thank you for sharing your opinion. I see that it's like really important to you right now that that people make wise choices or, you know, just mm -hmm. something that's like compassionate because I know where it's coming from and I know how easy it is for me to get like insanely didactic and self-righteous and how there's this like 30 second window where it feels like if I can just punch this home, it's going to feel so good. And then you're like, oh God, why did I do that? Like, right. Well, and that's sort of like what happened this morning, right? Like we do this thing where we trade time so that we're not interrupting each other for a full two minutes, right? You'd be amazed at how much you can get done in that two minutes. So we trade time where one person talks, the other person just listens and then repeats back. And I realized that for myself, I'm very often in that place of like, how do I protect myself? Mm -hmm. And putting myself in not your shoes, but the shoes of someone who didn't feel like they had to be right that they had the space to hear all the things that you needed to say about whoever you're in relationship with. You can't have a relationship with someone and not feel frustrated sometimes. So if I imagine being your friend who heard that in that way, there's a way that you can be more present. So when you are running into those people on social media, the truth is, you know, what are they trying to do, right? Those yeah. are not people who are necessarily, as you pointed out, in a hugely different perspective, camp, whatever. They are people who want to see certain changes in the world. And we're all scared that what happened before will happen again. And how do we unify? So I think it's really yeah. important. On that note, I have a present for you. 
Oh. Giant Altoids? <laughs> oh. It's... The Survival of the Fittest Survival Kit. Oh my gosh, look at that. I am now going to live. <laughs> it's the Gentleman's Hardware Survival Kit. It's We do not, you know, sponsor them. They do not sponsor us, but it's so pretty. It is very pretty. And it seemed fitting. Thank you. I love that because I'm, again, I, I think I have a flint in here and a bungee cord. Tweezers. Tweezers, which I'll need for just going out. So, <laughs> aw, thank you. You're welcome.